Well, that's actually not the first time I've been accused of looking like Dr. Phil. When I was going to pastor Calvary, they found a picture and did exactly the same thing. And all of their staff, you know, had, actually had a guy stop me one time in the airport, and he said, are you? I grabbed his hand, pulled him over, sat down. We started talking. He said, wait a minute, you're not that guy. I said, all those bald guys look alike. You know how that works. But my, I got so tired of hearing, I just shaved my head and grew a mustache, you know, a goatee to go with my mustache. But actually what happened was my wife was going through chemotherapy and when her hair came out, I shaved my head, her hair grew back, mine didn't. So, you know, <laughs> I want to tell you something about my wife, what kind of lady she is. She uh, got up that Sunday morning, she said, honey, you can't go to church, my hair's coming out, so I don't want to, it's going to kind of be weird sitting there and it coming out in worship. So I went home, she said, okay, let's go. So we went back to the back bathroom, and she leaned over, and she pulled her hair out right here in the center. So she would have what my grandkids called the horseshoe, you know. She would, she would have hair missing here, and so we looked just alike. Our hairstyles were just alike. Then she reached into the sink and pulled out some hair and made a mustache. <laughs> I'm serious. And we, we got a picture of that as well. And... It really was the, the sweetest moment of my married life. My wife, when she found out she was having cancer, she thought, well, great, I get to go to heaven first. Nah, 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 nah. You know, I said, well, we'll see. Then they said, well, no, you, you know, there's a good chance that you, and she's doing fine now. She said, okay, this is a work that God prepared for me to walk in. And she never flinched. I mean, she continuously has had that confidence. That's the kind of woman I live with, that confidence that God was at work in his life and he was going to win. And so uh, that day when she, when she had that hair there for the mustache, we started singing an old hymn that we have found to be uh, comforting in times of trouble. It's like a river glorious is God's perfect peace. Trace upon his dial of our, our life. He knows us and loves us and is absolutely committed to us. Do you believe that? This morning, if you do not have fresh faith, you know, we struggle as a family to communicate our love to each other because you just keep saying, I love you, and it just sounds like, okay, I love you. So we started a little thing in our family when we would say, I love you today, meaning it's like that fresh new mercy of a new day. I love you today. A few weeks ago, I went to Thailand to meet with a group of missionaries, and I had a lot of fun sending texts back to my kids, I love you tomorrow because I was already in tomorrow, you know. I was 12 hours ahead. It was kind of fun. But I wonder about your faith today. Do you love him today? Has there ever been a time that you sensed you loved him with a greater freshness than you love him today? You know, there's a sickness in our church today, not you probably, but in the church in, in North America. It's called consumerism where people treat church like something else that is there for their convenience, that they just have when they like it and do what they like and go home and grade the service, you know. How did it go today? When really, when we examine what the Scripture expects about the people of God, remember how in the book of Acts they had such a sense of awe that he was working? 
They had such an incredible sense of his presence. It moved them to repent and say, how can we be saved? That same sense of awe moved them to tell others about Christ. I wonder, has there ever been a time in your life when you sensed you were closer than you are today? Now, I know the theology of, you know, you, you already have all of Jesus that you need. He just needs more of you. I agree with that. And he, he is just as close now as he's always been. But listen to the scripture. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Listen to the scripture. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Has there ever been a time when you sensed a greater awareness of the working of God in your life than what you're sensing today? When I ask you that question, perhaps your mind goes through your file and you come up with, it was a camp, you were on a retreat or a youth camp, and wow, I mean, it's just like God took over. All the kids there were giving their heart to Christ and you sang until midnight and didn't want to go back to the cabin. You went out to the campfire service and people were getting right with each other and they were getting right with God. I mean, it was a mountaintop experience. Or maybe it was a revival service. I remember in, in college, I was in a revival service one night and it was a little bitty small church, but people were lined up to the back door to come and talk to the pastor about either knowing Christ or following Christ I had to go down there and help him and we had two lines and they were just lined up coming following that we baptized 65 people one night and this little church only had about two or three hundred in it you know at the time I mean it was just an amazing move of God I I have a memory of that do you I have a memory when when I was a teenager of the Jesus movement where there was such an awareness in our culture that God was at work. And there was such an anticipation in the church when they came together on a Sunday morning. Not that long ago, I led a task force because we have such a problem in our Southern Baptist Convention. Our, our baptisms just keep going down every year. So we ask, what's wrong? What's wrong in our churches? Why aren't we seeing more people come to know Christ? So I gathered a, a team of pastors from throughout North America, 15 guys different places, different generations, different ethnicity. We got in a room, and that first day on a marker board, we started listing what we needed. And the number one thing that we felt like had to be done is we need spiritual awakening in our country and in our churches, in the hearts of our pastors and church leaders. We need spiritual awakening. When that first day was over, we went back to the airport, and one of the young men that we'd selected is a planter of collegiate churches up in the Northwest. They've started multiple churches, and they're just seeing an incredible move of God among those colleges, students, where student after student is giving themselves to Christ, going into ministry, going to other college campuses to plant other campus churches. I mean, just an incredible move. And so we're sitting there after we'd gone through security, and Keith looked at me. He said, Al, what's all this talk about spiritual awakening? 
I looked at him and I laughed. I said, Keith, it was before you were born, buddy. But those older pastors that kept bringing that up remembered something that they'd tasted before. It was an overwhelming awareness of the presence of God that was not created, it was not manufactured, and it gave evidence that it was more than a feeling because people were getting right with each other. People were leading people to Christ. People were just coming, driving by the church house and turning and coming in. I, I had that happen few times when somebody just said I was just driving by and I, I realized my incredible need from God can you tell me how to know him when Paul was writing Timothy it was his last letter Paul was nearing death not even sure he would see Timothy again but wanting to so he was writing to him what was really important and I want you to see in 2 Timothy chapter 1, what some people believe is the theme of this book. Some people believe that this one little phrase, this one sticky little phrase, is what we're supposed to get out of 2 Timothy. And everything else gives support and illustration and understanding of how to do it. If you can find it in your Bible, 2 Timothy, it's in the T section, all right? 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. And it, it helps you. If you find one that starts with T in the New Testament, you can find it, all right? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, if you're dialing it up on your smartphone, here are the ground rules. I suggest that your pastor go over this every two or three weeks. You can use your smartphone to look in your Bible there, but it's your neighbor's responsibility to make sure you're only looking at your Bible, all right? You've got plenty of time to text and do Facebook and all that kind of stuff later, all right? Right now, you need to be attentive to the voice of God and look at His Word. That's how He works. He works through His Word. Somebody invites me to a prayer meeting, I take my Bible, all right? Because I'm expecting not only to talk to God, but to hear from God. And I want to see it in His Word. Let me show it to you. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me give you context before we dive into the actual verse, all right? Paul's writing to him, and he says, Now, Timothy, I, I want you to know that as I think about you, I call you my dearly loved child. He really was like a child in the faith to him. He said, you're special to me, Timothy, and I'm writing this letter to you because you have a special place in my heart. I'm praying for you a lot, Timothy. The parents in the room, the grandparents in the room, the greatest joy, the greatest sorrow that you have comes from your children. The greatest challenges, the greatest victories come from them. You're praying for your children. You're praying for your grandchildren. You want them to know Christ. Years ago, a missionary came to our house. I was in seminary. I was in class. This missionary came to our house, and her name was Bertha Smith. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Miss Bertha. She was in China doing the great Shantung revival. They made her retire. She was so mad. She said, just because I'm 65, I can still do this. But she came home, and God used her as a force in North America. And she, she came to our apartment that day. She laid her hands on each of our children and prayed that God would call them to the mission field. My wife was pregnant with our, with our fourth child. She laid her hands on my wife's tummy, and she prayed for that one to be called to the mission field. When she finished, she said, 
If we'd just take the Great Commission seriously, we'd pray that half our kids would be missionary, other, staff, other half stay home and pay for it, all right? We could fix this thing, but we're just not serious about the Great Commission. Years later, my wife told me, she said, since that day, I've been praying, Lord, I'll go anywhere, anytime for your glory, but if it's not me, it'd be a great honor if you'd send my children. We were so thrilled when God answered that prayer and our daughter went to live in the Middle East. I could rejoice in her ministry when I went to visit her and she took us to the home of a Syrian refugee family and they gave testimony of how God had used her to lead them to Christ. When Paul wrote to Timothy, this was not just some guy he knew. He said, Timothy, this is, this is what's important to me. You're like my son. Then he said, I know that you didn't start this alone. I know that there have been people in your life. I know how you grew up. I know what was going on when, when you were trained by your mother and your grandmother. Great text for a pastor to preach on, on Mother's Day when he talks about what happened with uh, Eunice and Lois and how they loved him and led him to Jesus. Timothy, I, I know that this is personal faith. It's something you have in you as well. That end of verse 5, you see it? I know this is real to you. I know that you know him, Timothy. But I'm writing you for a reason. So I want to remind you, Timothy, of something. Now I want you to see that reason. Put it up here on the screen. Here's the text from this morning. And we could read this out loud together. It probably would do us good. The public reading of the scripture. You ready? Why don't we, and if you don't say it with me, we're going to start over, all right? Come on now, help the preacher out. You ready? All right, let's read it together. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Father, we've opened your word with reverence. We know that it is the word of God. So we pray now that you would use it in our lives. We pray that you would speak to us in a personal way. And that is why we pray, Lord God, speak to my heart. Would you pray that out loud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. Lord, we listen. We know that you would never speak to us but for our good and for your glory. So speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you catch that phrase in verse 6? For this reason I remind you to fan into flame. When you think of your heart this morning, is there any fire there? I mean, is it smoldering? see the smoke but you can't see the fire or is it a fresh blaze you know the old saying that guy's really on fire for Jesus I remember in college we had led this guy to Christ he came by my office his name was Dewey he was he said I'm 6'4 none of your business pounds all right he was I mean he was a big guy and Dewey came walking in, and he shut the door. He came over and sat down across the desk from me. He said, now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to tell me the truth. I said, 
do as far as I know. I'll always tell you the truth. Tell me the truth now. I said, all right. He said, is it going to wear off? Everybody tells me I'm too excited about Jesus, and it's going to wear off. I said, Dewey, it doesn't have to. That's what we call the cold water committee in the church, you know? These are people that run around and say, that guy loves Jesus too much, and he makes us all look bad. Let's see if we can put that fire out. What about you? I sure hope you're not part of the cold water committee. What about you? Are you one that could say, there's a flame inside of me? There's a hunger inside of me. There's a passion inside of me. I long to know him. Paul said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know him. Is that your cry? He said, I want you to fan into flame, Timothy. Do what you have to to roll that log over. Now, I know that, that our Christian life is not made of works, and God is not keeping score of our Christian activities. But there is some sense of responsibility here that Paul is saying to Timothy, Son, stoke the fire. Roll the log over. Add some more wood if you have to. But don't be sleepy. I was teasing the pastor. I said, you called it Awaken Weekend, not because you wanted spiritual awakening, because there was time change, right? And everybody's walking in all confused, and i got to wake them up. Well, it was really true. These teenagers had been asleep. They were sitting right over here, and I just kept walking over here trying to wake them up last service. But what about you? Is there a fire? Is it burning? Are you passionate in your walk with God? Has there ever been a time when you long to know him more than you do today. You know, sometimes we're singing songs and I get convicted. I actually read the words and, and try to figure out what I'm singing. One day we were singing, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. And I thought, that's not true today. I'm just singing the words. Boy, there was a time I didn't care how long the song lasts or what was going to happen next. I just needed a chance to tell Jesus I loved him. And I was grateful for his love for me. Fan into flame, Timothy. As I read this passage over and over, I, I have to tell you, I've, I've studied this before. I've not preached this message before. But as I studied this passage, I was getting ready to go teach our missionaries. And I was going to teach four services, one chapter per service. And I became convinced that this one phrase is the key to the whole book. Fan into flame. Such a passionate love for Jesus that no situation, no circumstance, no persecution, no disappointment, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So why should anything be able to separate you from your intimacy with God? Fan into flame, Timothy. So as I study this context, I notice that there's some things. I can make a list from other places in the Bible, but I want to make the list right here. I want to ask you just four or five 
questions that I hope are penetrating questions that will make you ask, is the flame burning in my soul? And here's the first one. How do you fan this into flame? Do you have a clear conscience? Now, what is a clear conscience? I've heard people say, I have no regrets. I can't say that. I've got plenty of regrets. I've got a lot of things that I don't like how I did them or what I did. I have a lot of times when I was not in touch with God and I, I know that my sin grieved his heart. I've had attitudes, I've had actions, I've had activities that were not pleasing to the Lord. I know that. But I'm not trying this morning just to see if I can drum up some old sin in your life. A clear conscience is a present reality that there's nothing in my life that I haven't faced and tried to make it right. A clear conscience is an awareness that there's nothing I'm holding on to or that I'm hiding but I'm trying my best to be open before the Lord. And I'm trying my best to be transparent with Him. I'm not playing any games. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not manipulating. I'm not deal-making. This morning, if Jesus came in and He walked over and He sat down by you, and He looked you right in the eye and He said, Are you ready to deal with it would you know what it is if not let's move on but if you know what it is the very thing that you just sense God puts his finger on and says you need to make that right it may be an attitude you have toward a person it may be an activity you need to stop. It may need to be an activity you need to start. I mean, God is, has tried to deal with you on this before, but you've not been willing to deal with Him. A clear conscience. Paul said, I'm serving Him with a clear conscience. I tried to figure that out. I mean, Paul didn't always, I mean, he was trying to wipe out the faith. But he's, He's saying, with clarity and passion, there's nothing I'm holding back. I'm not trying to make any deals with God. Now, before we leave that point, let me just see if I can encourage you a little bit more on a clear conscience. Some of you are prone to feel guilty all the time. I mean, you just never felt like you measured up. Your older sister, your older brother always did it right, you did it wrong, or at least you got caught when they did it. You know, I mean, you know how that goes. I mean, you just got this feeling of guilt, you just got this feeling of shame. You can't get over some things you did in the past. Let me remind you of how God convicts his children. God convicts his children of sin specifically not generally. As best I can tell, in the Bible, the Bible says everyone without Christ is under condemnation. 
Jesus said he'd not come to condemn the world because the world was condemned already. There should have been at least one moment in your life when you felt, oh no, I can't save myself. I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. What do I do? How do I trust Him? That was a general sense of absolute lostness. And that was God bringing you to Himself. But now that He's brought you to Himself, He doesn't stiff-arm you. He doesn't generally condemn you or generally correct you. He deals with you specifically, just like you deal with your children specifically. Do you have a clear conscience? The old hymn said, There's nothing between my soul and my Savior. Nothing between, nothing between. As I read this context, I begin to see that Paul was trying to help Timothy fan the flame by reminding him of who believed in him. That's my next question for you. Did anyone believe in you? Who was the first person to see God at work in your life and encourage you? Who was somebody early in your faith maybe that said, man, I just see God doing so many good things in your life. Or I see that you want to do that. Let me help you do it. You know, you asked me who believed in me, and I'm going to tell you right away. Coach Loy Hutchison. He was my high school football coach. I, dad, didn't have a dad. He walked away when I was a little boy. My high school football coach saw God working in my life. He invited me to come over on Sunday night since I was a quarterback to watch the films of the game. Oh, the great technology of the big film that you had to put on the projector and, you know, watch the game. And I'd stay in his house almost midnight every Sunday night watching the film from the previous game that we played and the game we were about to play. But when I left, it wasn't about football. Coach Hutchinson believed in me. He saw God working in me. He encouraged me. I want to run the race today because I know he invested in me. We talked last night about a couple of seminary professors. that Your pastor and I remember that invested in us. I'm motivated when I think of Roy Fish, the evangelism professor at Southwestern Seminary, who took time to encourage me, who took time to pray with me. I, I ask you today, who believed in you? That memory ought to fan into flame that God's got something for you, that God's got something ahead of you. God still wants to do something with you. That leads me to my next question. Do you have a sense of destiny? Do you know that the people that God uses most have a sense of destiny? They believe God's up to something. They believe God's doing something. And they, like Paul, say, I've got to lay hold of what God had in mind when he laid hold of me. Do you believe that when God laid hold of you, he had something in mind for you? Do you believe when he laid hold of you, it's because he understood that he was going to use you for the work of his kingdom? Oh, you may say, well, you know, he, I'm not a public speaker. He doesn't use me. Have you ever heard the story of Mr. Kimball? Mr. Kimball was a humble Sunday school teacher. He was worried about one of his students named Dwight, so he went by the shoe store, and he started sharing Christ. And that day, 
Dwight L. Moody gave his heart to Christ. And a little later when Moody was preaching, a guy by the name of uh, Chapman came to Christ, if my memory serves me right. And a little later when Chapman was preaching, a guy by the name of Billy Sunday, who was a baseball player, came to know Christ. And when Billy Sunday was preaching, a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham came and came to Christ. And he became an evangelist. And you might not have heard of him, but he was the one preaching in North Carolina when that little boy named Billy Graham came in off the farm and gave his heart to Christ. Now, it all started kind of back there with Mr. Kimball. So on Judgment Day, God's going to say, good job, Billy Graham. Good job, Mordecai Ham. Good job, Billy Sunday. Good job, Dr. Chapman. Good job, Dwight L. Moody. Mr. Kimball, step up here. Well done, good and faithful servant. I told that story one time. My wife said, what he's really going to say is, Mrs. Kimball, you rocked that boy. <laughs> it all started with you. Mom, you ought to have a sense of destiny. I saw five-week-old Anna in the hallway in her mom's arms. Her mom ought to have a sense of destiny that she's been given an opportunity to pour her life into little Anna. I don't know where you are. I don't know your gift. I don't know your skill. I don't know your opportunity. But I'm telling you, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Stir up the fire in your heart. Quit sleeping like a consumer of get and ask God how he could use you. When Paul said to Timothy, I remember those tears, Timothy. Some say it's because they thought he was... He remember when Timothy told him goodbye and he was sad he was telling him I don't think that was it in the context when he says that I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands he's talking to Timothy about I remember you crying when we laid hands on you and commissioned you to the ministry you sensed it was important you sensed it was overwhelming. You sensed you couldn't do it without the presence of God, Timothy. I remember you got it because God was putting on you a great sense of destiny that he had something for you to do. Here's my next question. Will you fan the flame by boldly facing your challenges? Boldly facing your challenges. In a crowd like this, there's, there's bound to be some of you that have something real hard right before you. People around you may not understand your faith, the problems you have at work you don't know how to handle. Your husband left you. Your children have turned their back on God. This is not the time to let the fire go out. This is the time to boldly stoke the fire. Paul was about to say to Timothy, a lot of folks left me, Timothy. When the persecution came, they didn't want to be acknowledged. They knew Jesus. I could stand here and talk to you about the culture that we used to live in and the culture we live in now. I could talk to you about what you believe and how that goes cross-culture, but you already get it, don't you? I mean, you understand that some of the things you hold dear in following Jesus, our culture mocks and makes fun of. I'm not asking you to be obnoxious. 
I'm not asking you to be combative, but I am challenging you to be bold. Because the next verse says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He hasn't given us a spirit to be shy about it. When I was a teenager, back during that Jesus movement, nobody had ever taught me how to share my faith. I had no clue how to get in a gospel conversation. So I just learned if I could say, hey, what do you think of Jesus? Kind of changed the conversation. Are you willing to boldly face your challenges, believing that God is at work in your life? The sense of destiny has made the fire burn hot. All of these could be separate sermons because the last question I want to ask you comes from verse 7. It was one I memorized as a kid. If you haven't memorized it, it'd be a great place to write memory verse in the margin. The spirit that God's given us is not a spirit of timidity. I learned a new worship song a few weeks ago. It's not new, but it was new to me. I'm no longer a slave to fear, for I am a child of God. God has not given you a spirit of timidity. He's given you a spirit of power. You, you know that word power, right? Dunamis. Power. What he has put in you, he wants to work out of you. Do you know who lives in you? The king of glory lives in you. The one who spoke and the world came into being lives in you. I got it one day when I was reading 2 Corinthians and Paul was talking about the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers and he went on to say, for the one who said, let there be light has shown in our heart through the face of Jesus. And I thought, look at that. That's like in the Old Testament when God was creating the world. He said, let there be light. Do you understand the day that you came to Christ? You said, God, I can't save myself. I'm filled with darkness. I don't know what to do. I need a Savior. Do you know what Creator God did on that day? He spoke into your heart and said, let there be light. And now he lives in you. And he wants to live through you. But as preachers often talk about that knock, it's not a wooden pulpit, you can't hear it, okay? People talk about that knock at your heart's door when Jesus is trying to come and have a relationship with you. I believe in the church of Jesus Christ, there's another knock we ought to hear. And it's the knock of Jesus saying, will you let me out of this corner where you put me? Will you quit treating me like cargo on your ship and let me be the captain of your life? Will you quit treating me like something you think on Sunday and ignore all week long? Do you hear him knocking today? Asking you, will you let him fan into flame 
the faith that he's put in you. As we've talked about spiritual awakening, I've been reminded of something that happened in our church. I had heard about a revival that had taken place down in Texas on a college campus. I called and I spoke with the pastor of the church and he said, well, there was one young man that, that tells the story best. And so I talked to this young man and I said, would, would you and two or three of your friends come to our church? And they did. And on Sunday morning, this student stood up and he said, it's really pretty simple. We'd gotten together and we were praying and it was just all of a sudden we sensed that God was there. And we knew we needed to be right with Him. And we just went to the front and we knelt and we prayed and we cried and we encouraged each other and we got right with each other and it just kept going and going. And when he finished the story, I'll never, I'll never forget. He told me, he's in the pastor, I don't want any music. I just want to ask the people to come and pray. And he came and he knelt. And he prayed. And people all over the church house stood and they came and they prayed. Simply acknowledging their awareness of the presence of God and how they wanted him to move. I wonder if that could happen today. Not because we're looking for some emotional experience, but because we're taking seriously the challenge. Fan into flame that fire that is in you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Somebody might be the first before we even start the music. While we're just waiting in quietness, who needs to come? Who would come and pray for themselves, for their children, for their church? Just come. Just go ahead, even before we stand. You stand. Come. Just start praying today. Oh, God, give us a sense of destiny. Oh, God, remind us who invested in us. Oh, God. Remind us who lives in us. Oh, God. Fan into flame what's happening in our hearts. Remember that prayer that I told you my wife prayed? Lord, I'll go anywhere, anytime for your glory. Technically, if you call him Lord, that's what you say every day. He's the boss, you're not. Lord, I'll go anywhere, anytime for your glory. And if it's not me, would you send my children? What are you praying for your children? I met a mother last week who said, I'd rather my children be in the will of God and me never see them than to be out of the will of God and me see them every day. What's your prayer for your kids? That they'd have an intimate walk with God, that they would follow Him abandonedly, that they would be passionately pursuing Him? Is that your prayer? Is God raising up missionaries out of your church? Is God sending your sons and daughters to the ends of the earth? That's what happens when 
there's a flame burning and a sense of destiny among the people. If you need to join these who are praying or speak to a prayer counselor on the side, as you stand now to sing, just get up and come on down and pray.